Father, we come before you right now and we humble ourselves uh, because uh, how could we stand in pride uh, before the great king? Uh, any moment that we're not obsessed with you is, is truly a waste. Jesus, you are our life. You are everything. And uh, Jesus, I pray that uh, you would somehow open our hearts and minds to understand how big you are, how amazing you are, and how important you are, and our relationship with you is truly the most important thing in the world. So we ask that you would do that work spiritually in us to open our eyes and hearts. And God, I pray that you would pour into us your love. And for those of us who have been hurting or have had a long week or who have suffered this week, I pray, Jesus, that you would wrap us in your comfort, that you would assure us that you have everything under control, and that you would teach us that suffering is very, very good for us. It is not the enemy. But you are teaching us to hate sin. And you're teaching us to cling to you what is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to... Uh, I need some volunteers. All right, you, uh, Isaac. No, just sit down. Sit down. Just look up in your Bible, John 8, 12. And another volunteer. Okay, you look up in your Bible, John 1, 4. Another volunteer. Volunteer. Jonathan, uh, you look up John 1, 9. You look up John 3, 19. All right, one more volunteer. Paul, I love you. You're just awesome. Thanks. See, wasn't that a good volunteer thing? <laughs> All right, you guys, so you guys remember the, the verses I gave you? Anyone need a... Refresher? John 8.12, right? uh, yeah. So hang on. Just, just look those up. Hang on. We'll get there in a minute. Be patient. <laughs> All right. There was this young boy. He was nine years old. And he went on a trip with his parents to visit Europe. And, and, and as they traveled around Europe, they visited all the great cathedrals and churches of the past. And as he went in these uh, cathedrals and, and saw these massive churches with these huge stained glass windows. Wouldn't it be cool if we had stained glass windows? But you guys have seen these stained glass windows, right? And they, they portray uh, these wonderful images of disciples and saints, right? And he, so he traveled with his parents and he was very impressed as he stood and he looked at, at these beautiful stained glass windows, well, he came back to his church and some of the people asked this young boy, what, what really impressed you about your, your journey, your trip to Europe? And he said, um, boy, I loved the sense of awesomeness and, and hugeness of who God must be. I mean, they build these huge churches and they, they're, they're just so, so much thought and effort went into these things. God must be really important. And then, uh, then they asked him, well, what is a saint? As he described the, the stained glass images of the saints, they, they said, what is a saint? And this young boy um, thought back to these stained glass windows, and he says, a saint is someone who lets the light shine through. A saint is someone who lets the light. And this is a good illustration uh, for us of what a saint is supposed to be. We don't have light of our own, but we are called saints in the Bible. We're saints. If you believe in Christ and your sins have been forgiven, you are a saint. But we don't have light of our own. We can't produce any light of our own. But, you know, the moon doesn't have any light of its own either, right? It simply reflects the light of the sun. But if you're walking around at night and it's a full moon, it's almost like daytime. I mean, it it's can be really, really bright, especially if you're, like, up in the mountains. Um, so today we're going to be talking about light, the light that shines through us. Is it... Is it a little too loud, is it? Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, the light that shines through us, this light of Jesus. And, and so we're going to talk about how Jesus is the only real source of light. So uh, John eight twelve. would you read that real loud for everyone to hear, super loud. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not 
darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay. So, Jesus is the light of the world. We were born in darkness. Every human being since Adam, Adam plunged the world. He just flipped off the light switch on the world in our hearts. And every child that's ever been born was born in darkness. But Jesus is the light of the world. And even though we were born dead, he can make us alive. He gives us his life. But it's not something that can be earned. You can't earn the light of Jesus. And, and, and there's no list of things to do. Say, if you do these things, you get the light of Jesus. Yay! Even though that's how life works. You do these things, you graduate. You do these things, you get a raise. But that's not how God works. He refuses to work that way. Uh, it's not more stuff to do. It's, it's light and it's given. He says, he who follows me, follows me. Uh, look, look, who had John 1, 4? Read it super loud so everyone can hear. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In him, talking about who? In Jesus, right, was life. He had life. He was not born dark. He was born alive. Because his life proceeds straight from God, who is the source of all life. So he in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus is shining his own life, his own light into us. All right, who's got John 1, 9? Jonathan, real loud. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. All right. Jesus came to this world to give us his light slash life. He came to this world to offer, to give it to us. All right, so let's read John 3.19. Who had that one? And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Oh, bummer. <laughs> Sorry, you got the bummer one. <laughs> he says, this is what condemnation is. Not, not that you guys are a bunch of uh, terrible people, but when Jesus came to give light, you said, mm, no thanks. I like sin. I like sinning. It's fun. It's enjoyable. I get to do what I want and be my own boss and decide what is right and wrong myself. I love my evil deeds, even though I don't know that they're evil. He says that is what condemnation is. Jesus came to give light, but we decided men reject Jesus because they like sin. We just like it. We like the power of being able to control our own lives. We like the pride of saying, I don't need God, I don't need forgiveness, I don't need these things. That's, that's who we are when we start out. But I know a lot of us get to a point in our life where we realize, God opens our eyes and we realize, I'm not okay. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need, to, I need something. And God says, that is the first ray of sunlight into your heart. It's the first little bit of knowledge is when we realize we're not okay, that we need something. This is the gospel. Jesus is everything we need, and he provides everything we need. He is our light. He is our life. He came to us when we were in dark, and we generally reject him because we like to sin. But if we turn to the light and, and accept his light, open our hearts and let his light shine in. It says we will be saved. We will have his life replacing our death. We can be born again and have spiritual life where we only had death before, where we were not alive before. So I'm going to look first, before we get into our text, we're, we're going to look at a couple Old Testament verses that prophesy, that tell us about, and this is before Jesus came, but what Jesus would do when he came concerning this light. So Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, have called you, Jesus, in righteousness, and I will hold your hand, and I will keep you, and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. This is really cool. Jesus is given to you. 
God looked at you and said, you know what? You need a Christmas gift. Hi, how about Christmas? I'll give you a Christmas. This would be a good Christmas sermon. Ah, I should have waited. Anyway, um, <laughs> shoot. So Jesus is given to us, and he says here, as a covenant. What is a covenant? It's a, a contract or an agreement. God looked at you and said, we uh, can't do things the way that we're doing them, where I'm an enemy of you. We're enemies. I like what's good. You like to sin. And when you die, you're going to go to hell. That's not how I want this to go. We need a new agreement. So he says, I'm going to give you a new agreement. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to let him be slaughtered on the cross, killed for you, so I can forgive all your sins and we can have a new agreement. The new agreement is, I forgive you of everything and you get adopted as my children. How does that sound? Amen. Amen. He says, I will give you as a covenant to the people. Jesus, imagine Jesus. This was written 500 years before Jesus. This is a prophecy. Jesus comes along the scene and he's reading about himself and he's like, God, you're going to give me as a covenant to the people. And then he thinks back of how covenants were made in the old in the Old Testament, and he thinks maybe of Abraham and how God made a covenant with Abraham, and what did God do? God took an animal and he slaughtered it, and the blood of that animal signified or paid the price for the covenant that he made with Abraham. So Jesus is thinking, wow, I'm going to have to be killed in order for God to make this new agreement with people. Now Jesus could either think, ah, uh, that sucks, I don't want to do that, or he could think, I love these people so much and I will offer my life for them. I will let you kill me and I will be the covenant for them. And then he says, as a light to the Gentiles is the second part of this promise. Jesus, in being our covenant, when he gives his life or his blood for us, he becomes our light. He takes what was dark, our hearts, and he starts shining light into it. So instead of us living in darkness in the way that we were when we were born, he says, I will shine my very light in. And he does it through offering his life. Um, so remember when Jesus, the night before he was uh, crucified, and he took the cup, and what did he say? This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, in my blood. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was offering the price that needed to be paid for the new covenant, the new agreement that God wanted to give to you and to me. Another, just a couple chapters later in Isaiah 49, 6, Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So we see this whole plan. God said, I'm going to save my nation of Israel through you, the Messiah. But not, I, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to save everyone in the world, no matter what nation they belong to. And I'm happy about that because I'm a Gentile. Most of us in here are Gentiles. Um, and the whole world is full of people. And God says, I've loved them so much. I'm going to save you, you, Israel. We have a relationship. I love you. But I also love all the people. And I'm going to give uh, you, the Messiah Jesus, as a light to all the Gentiles. And that you should be my salvation. So God's light, as, we, as we're learning about today is his salvation, his gospel of grace that he wants to shine his light into our hearts and save each person. It's all brought together in this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Do you remember that? When was that? Yeah, like the first day of creation, right? He said, let there be light. And it was dark before, and then it was light. What, what kind of power did that? Some beastly power, right? Some God showed his amazing power by creating light out of nothing. He says, it is that God that created light to shine out of darkness who shone in our hearts 
to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the same way God created light out of darkness, he says, I'm going I'm to look at you, I'm going to go into your deep, dark heart, and I'm going to create a new light, a new life inside your heart. It's so needed. It's so important. And it says, and what will happen is that you will be saved when that happens. You will experience what it means to be saved. You will, you will have a life that, where it was once dead, or you will have light where it was once dark. And what's the result? It says you will know God. Which, if you think about it, what was Adam and Eve's purpose? To know God. To have a relationship with him. Adam used to walk with God every day in the cool of the day. And they didn't have this knowledge of good and evil. So every time Adam came across something, he would say, God, is this good or bad? Should I do this? What should I do? And he had this relationship where God was his father and he was the son. And it was, per, it, it was, that's what God wanted. God wants children. That's his goal. And he is going to accomplish his purpose. He wants children. And he's offered you. He wants you to receive that offer. He says, you know, the goal, let's say the goal was here. I'm gonna, I want children for myself. I want to reproduce myself in my, my kids. I love them. So he creates Adam and Eve. Well, then there's this big like fall, right? Where Adam and Eve said, we hate you. We rebel. We don't want to follow you, right? And then Jesus comes and, but God's goal is still children, right? Jesus comes and redeems us. And after he redeems us, he's lifted us back up here where now you, once you believe in Christ, you are the child. You're back up here at his original goal and his whole life, his whole purpose, his whole heart yearns for you to live as his child, to know him as his child. And that's what this verse says. We get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Like that's what a child understands how awesome their dad is right? (laughs) In the face of Jesus Christ. This all happens to us because of that wonderful love of Jesus that he shines towards us when we look at him. So this light of Jesus given freely to you inside your heart, it speaks of our salvation, the gospel in totality. Um, 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So our daily experience as a child of God is to be, we're supposed to walk in the light. Walk in it. Who who gives the light? Where is it found? In Jesus. So we're supposed to walk with Jesus. In Jesus, we're that get on this path where we are living as his sons and daughters. And it says that we'll create an intimacy with each other. We'll be like, oh, I know you're a goofball and a goober, but we both are God's children, so I love you. I care about you. That's how that works. All right. Now, so all of that was our introduction. Don't worry. That's like most of it. Don't worry. Uh, so... We're going to read now Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 21 through 25, which is our text for today, which is a parable about this light that we've, we've talked about. So he says here, also, he said, well, before I read this, remember last week, or the last week I taught, we, we did the parable right before this, which was the whole first half of the chapter, which was the four soils, which was when God plants the seed of his word, the soil is your heart. So like right now, today, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm scattering seed, which is the word of God. And some of you have good hearts that are going to receive it. And they're, and they're, and they're going to have the humility to say, yes, I need, I trust you. I believe your word and it's for me. And that others are, have hard hearts and others have distracted hearts and others have shallow hearts. And those were the four different hearts that we saw. You guys all have different hearts. I don't know where you're at today. I hope we have soft hearts where the seed can go down and plant. So that's the context, is the word of God going out. And this is the next parable that Jesus gives. Look what he says. And he said to them, is a lamp 
brought, that word brought is very important, you should underline it, to be put under a basket or under a bed, Jesus is a great stand-up comedian. He invented humor, okay? So obviously he's the funniest person that ever lived. And here, it's true. I mean, if he invented humor, wouldn't he be the funniest person that ever lived? I mean, we, the Bible says he was the happiest person that ever lived. His, it says he was anointed with the oil of joy more than his companions, meaning he was the happiest person that ever lived. We, we see movies of Jesus and he walks around like this. Like he hasn't had his coffee yet and he knows he's about to like just get murdered. But it says he's the happiest person that ever lived. So no matter what you're thinking about a good thing in life, like joy and happiness and laughter is a good thing, he's the pinnacle of it. He experienced it and exemplifies it more than anybody. So he loves humor, and right here, he's using a wonderfully funny example. He says, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Just imagine, and they had lamps that would burn with oil, and imagine someone saying, here's my lamp, and putting it under their bed. Super funny, because it would set their bed on fire, they would die in flames, like, it just... It's funny, right? I like it. He said, is it not meant to be set on a lampstand? Okay, so there's his simple illustration. That's it. Like, when you bring a lamp into a house, it's, it's not to hide things. It's to reveal things. It's, it's to shine light. Okay? Then he says, for there is nothing hidden. So he's explaining now what he means. There's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor is anything be kept secret, but it should now come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So he says this parable, right? And we learned last week that if you don't understand this parable, it's not because the parable's dumb, it's because your heart is dumb or hard. These parables, we don't sit here and judge them. They judge us. So if you're like, what's he talking about? The parable has thus judged you to be weird have a hard heart. This lamp that is brought into the room is Jesus. He was brought to this earth like we read. He came into this world to give light for us to see and receive this gift of light and life as like all the verses we read uh, tell us. Light is the topic and so the light that Jesus brings is this spiritual light. Well what does this light that Jesus, what's it do? Well, I see two things. Number one, it reveals things. When you, bring, when you flip on the light switch, uh, obviously they, they didn't have that back then. So when you lit a, a lamp, um, it would reveal things. And for us, what does Jesus reveal? He reveals God's plan for salvation or what we call the gospel or grace. Uh, he says you need to work really, really hard and always go to church and always say your prayers and then you get to go to heaven. What? That's not what the gospel says? Well, what does the gospel say? <laughs> what did you say? Believe what? Believe God's a nice guy. Okay. What does it mean to believe in his name? I believe his name was Jesus. What, do, what does that mean? Okay. By his name, it means his identity and his works. Yes, I believe in the name of Jesus that he is who he said he was. He said he was God who became a man and he offered his body to be slaughtered on the cross for me, to pay the price for my sins. And then he rose from the dead to show that if I put my confidence, my trust, and believe in him, I would be forgiven and I would have new life just like he rose with new life. That's the gospel. And that he would then provide everything that I would ever need by that same grace. Okay, so Jesus' light reveals that plan. If you have never heard that plan before, then this is the first ray of sunshine into your ears. And it is now soaking in, and your heart is either going to be hard and say, whatever, I don't need Jesus. Or it's going to be soft and say, oh. I want his, I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that that was for me. 
And then the, the gospel has now sunk into your heart and it will take a root and it will grow and produce what? Fruit, which will be love and joy and everything. Okay, so, so the light produces this uh, knowledge of what salvation is, what, what the gospel is. Light can also expose things like pride and humility. That's what when we bring up Jesus in a conversation, people are like, yeah, I need Jesus. Ooh, yeah. And then other people are like, ugh, Jesus. I'm okay with him, but all his followers are goofballs. Or whatever. It, 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 it reveals just, just the name of Jesus. Um, and it exposes things like faith in self versus faith in God. As you start letting his light pour in as you start reading the words of scripture and you start seeing the things that Jesus did, you start to see that he trusted in his father for all things and never trusted in himself. Whereas I seem to always trust in myself and never trust my father. And then the Holy Spirit is like, what are you going to, what do you think you should do with that? Yeah, repent. Repent. Put your trust in your Father like Jesus did. This, this is what his light is doing in us. Another thing light can do, not only just reveal these things, light penetrates. Um, it goes where darkness has hid things in us. It, it, where darkness has hid the truth. We can't ignore it. We can run away from it. You can run to the darkness, but you can't, you can't ignore light. So how, how am I going to respond to the light of Jesus? Jesus says here, if anyone have, has ears to hear, let him hear. He's, he's saying, this is on you. I'm shining the light. I brought everything you need. I am everything you need. What are you going to do with that knowledge? You can receive the light by what? Working really hard and going to church all the time? Oh, wanting it super bad? No. By turning to him in humility, saying, God, I need you, and turning to him in faith, saying, God, I trust you. That's his way. That's what the gospel is, humility and faith. So now the second half, this parable is divided into two little stories. This is the second half of the story. The first is Jesus gives his light, and you have a choice whether you're going to receive it or not. Second, he says, and he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. But whoever has, for whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Uh, I like the message, paraphrase of the Bible uh, in this chapter. He says this, it, it translates the, are you hearing me? It says this, are you listening to this? Really listening? That's how it translates Jesus' words right here. Are you listening? Really listening? And it does it four times. Verse 3, verse 9, verse 13, and verse 23. And what he's saying is, are you really listening to the gospel light? Are you really listening to it? Are you really paying attention to it? Are you living by the gospel of grace? If Jesus is revealing his work to you, if his light is shining in your heart, he's saying, take heed to his work. What he did. Oh, but I have so many problems. Stop. What did he do? Oh, but I'm so this, I'm so that. I don't care. What is Jesus? Because your experience is is consumed by his life when you're in his light in other words what happened to him happens to you you get this shared life experience with jesus when you believe the gospel so you are no longer the person who you used to be you are now free like jesus is your life and his experience become one how do i how do you access this by believing it by faith is how we access this are we trusting him? Are we keeping our eyes on him? That's what the question of this parable is. Jesus says, if you believe in me and believe in what I've done for you, my 
work, my work, which is given freely to you, my life, which is given freely to you, my light, which is given freely to you, my death, which is given freely to you. If you believe in those things, as opposed to your flesh, what you can live, what you can bring, what you can do, these are two opposite ways. If, if you will trust in me and believe in me, he says, everything will be freely given to you. Everything you need. We call this grace upon grace. In 1 John 1.14, he says, Jesus came to give us grace upon grace. He says, when you hear the gospel and you say, you use it, you put it into practice, you say, I'm going to believe, you get the power of the gospel. You get what Jesus offers when you say, I believe. And you get grace upon grace. It's all about the gospel. Your whole life becomes about this one thing after you believe. If you don't live by it, if we decide, okay, I do believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to put my trust in it every day. I'm going to keep trusting in myself. I'm going to keep trusting in my wisdom. I'm going to keep trusting in my understanding and in the way I think things ought to be. Then, he says, something very bad is going to happen. You're going to be severed from the power and life that you could have been living in. This is a very big deal, Jesus says. Uh, If we trust in ourselves and in our own wisdom and in our own abilities, we will not be able to minister to other people or bear fruit to God. He says here, that ability, that supernatural gift of his grace will be taken away. In other words, we will shrivel and die like those guys in the Little Mermaid. The little wormy guys. And there's tons of churches filled with little wormy guys. And, and everyone's like, ugh. That was a scary scene. I was terrified. <laughs> when I grew up, I was terrified of that scene. I was like, I do not want to, 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 live, to be shriveled up like that. Okay? But this happens to us spiritually when we say, I've, I, I don't need what Jesus is offering me right now, today. I have my degree. I have my thing I've set up in my way that's going to control my life, and I, will, I don't need him here. God's guaranteeing you in that part of your life, you will shrivel and die. You will not have his light. You will have darkness instead. This is, this is crazy. But he's designed us to live grace upon grace, which means he's designed us to live continually receiving his grace. That's the design. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if you were made alive... If you were born again by just trusting in what you heard Jesus do for you, then he says, also walk every day with that same faith where you say, I can't do this myself. I'm going to simply trust you. I'm going to look at what you have done for me. I'm going to set my eyes on you. But many choose to walk their own way after they've chosen to follow Jesus. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah, all the time. Many live after their own flesh, after they started in the Spirit. And Galatians said, if you start in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. But many, 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 including me many times, have chosen to walk after the flesh. And so what happens? We feel tired because we don't have that life in us anymore. We feel lifeless We feel broken, we feel burnt out, we feel like we're in darkness, even though we were filled with his life at one point in his light. Why? Well, let's turn to Hebrews to learn a lesson about why. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, Hebrews is going to tell us about this danger of turning back to ourselves when we should have been walking in his light. Hebrews 5, 11, of whom we have much to say, Jesus, 
uh, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Were they dull before? No, no. When they first got saved, they had soft hearts and quick ears to hear God's grace, but now they're dull. I thought we were supposed to grow more godly, not more sensitive to God. Not, well, yeah, but they didn't. Something wrong has happened. They've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and, and not solid food. If we just saw someone that only drank milk all the time and never ate meat, we would be like, you're a weirdo and probably lactose intolerant. But, which are also, never mind. Um, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. We could call that grace, unskilled in grace. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the writer here says that they should have been teachers by now, but they were delayed and actually had lost the progress that they had made in the Lord. Why? Because they had not been using the gospel. Using the gospel. They had forgotten it. They had fallen back into trusting in self. If the gospel is trusting in the Lord and in his faithfulness, then the opposite of that is trusting in self and my faithfulness. How many times have you woke up and just been like, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm incapable. I have failed. Who is our eyes on in that moment? ourselves. God says every morning you're going to wake up with that temptation, but to progress in the gospel, you have to use the gospel, which means you have to change that view from yourself and your failure to God and his faithfulness, to Jesus and his works, not yours. And the more you do that, you will find he transforms the actual experience of your life. Instead of, uh, they had fallen back into trusting in themselves. They had fallen back into trusting in works. Oh, God's happy with me because of the things I do. Mm. Is he? Or is he happy with you because of the things Jesus did? It's very clear. They've fallen back, these Hebrews had fallen back into trusting in their performance. God's happy with me because I... I give great effort and I succeed in keeping his law. That does not what makes him happy. I'm sorry. Because have you kept the law perfectly? And if you haven't kept the law perfectly, do you really make God happy? No. That's why we need Jesus. There's one man ever who ever kept the law perfectly, and that was Jesus. And he kept it so well that God literally ripped open heaven and shouted. <laughs> didn't, didn't think I was that excited. God ripped open heaven and said, this is my beloved son in him I am well pleased. And we get in the gospel to be in Christ where he says, in you I'm well pleased. Because you're in him and I'm well pleased. Stop thinking about your stinking performance. The more you think about your performance, you're going to be under the condemnation of saying, I have failed to measure up to God's standard. In him, we are well pleased. They had fallen back into trusting in self-control. Self-control. There are some churches, there are some places you go where self-control is elevated to the most godly of all attributes. Very, very, very important self-control. Where does self-control come from? Self. Unless it's a fruit of the Spirit, which he says self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're walking in Christ, you'll be given self-control. If you're trying to get self-control, you're never going to get self-control. 
Um, and any other self-sourced discipline is, is someone who's fallen from grace. They trust in these self-disciplines. We can never trust in self-discipline spiritually. It's actually taking our eyes off of the gospel and putting it onto self and our efforts instead of fixing our eyes. They had forgotten about what he said in Hebrews 2.1. Look at Hebrews 2.1. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. That's what happened to them. They, they, they had neglected their relationship with Jesus even though they were going to church all the time, even though they were reading their Bible all the time. They neglected the things they had heard, which was what? Well, let's look at Hebrews 3.1, the next chapter, the first verse. He says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. This was their one job. Keep their eyes on Jesus. That was their one job. And they got it onto so many other things. Well, you can't wear pants in church. You gotta wear dresses. You can't have your hair cut like that in church. What does that have to do with Jesus? Nothing. All of these man-made rules are just smelly, stinking, whatever you want to call it. They distract you from Jesus and what he did on the cross and what it accomplished for you. He says, we are to give heed. What does that mean? Listen, pay attention. And he says, give more earnest heed. That means however much you were heedy, headed, given, headed to him before, do it more. Well, I focused on him all day yesterday. I don't care. You need to focus more today on him. But I'm very busy. I don't care. But I have stuff I have to accomplish. What did I say before? Jesus is all our light and our life. And we have to give more earnest heed. How much more? He says, consider. What does that word mean? Consider his mission and his work. What did he do? Think about his life all day long. Be thinking, what did he do? What is his life? What what did he accomplish? And his mission, what did he do? Uh, What did he accomplish on on the cross and rising again? In other words, he's saying, let yourself marinate in the life and works of Jesus or sit in a room that has light in it. Or we could just say, abide. That's what abide means. Fill yourself up with his, open yourself up to his light and life. That's what you guys are doing right now. You're sitting here, we're thinking about Jesus and what he has done. He says here, you can fade away and you can backslide, but don't. Don't. Keep thinking about him. Don't think that you've heard enough. I know we preach longer than some churches do, and I'm so sorry. But I can't stop talking about Jesus. Can't stop, won't stop. Um, I don't know what that's from, but I think it's a rap song. Kanye? Yeah. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. Anyway, good stuff. So if you've conf- confessed that you trust in Jesus now, you've got to abide in him. Now. Abide in him. Keep, remain there. Have you trusted in his life and in his death? Have you trusted in his finished work on the cross? In his grace? That's our job every day is to trust. And there are ways that we can dive into that life every day. There's ways that we can abide in his life to let it surround us, to be in the light, to walk in the light, like we said. To let nothing else matter If we're letting his kingdom come, then it's not about my will anymore. Well, how? You're talking about like a whole life that's nothing but Jesus. I have so, I'm really busy. I got so much stuff I want to accomplish in this life. I am not going to uh, just let it be Jesus all the time. 
This is the condemnation. They've, re- they've, they've loved their evil works and rejected light. Light is not something you just turn on and off for fun. You stay there and you've got to surrender darkness to the light. We can't live after our own will anymore. It is His will. When we wake up, we're up and serving Him. When we are eating lunch, it's about Him. When we're at school, it's about Him. When we're at work, it's about Him. It's, this is the life He's asked us and offered to us. I want you to experience real life, He says. And I'm offering it for free. So you've got to walk in it every day. It's not about your will anymore. It's His life, His mission. And so it will be His light that shines in through us. This is why we have to be reminded every day of his gospel of grace. It's because we drift from that. We wake up in the morning and we get flooded with all our plans for the day. And God was like, wait, 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 wait. I did not intend for you to do any of that today. My plan for you was very different. We got to be reminded every day because we will naturally drift away from his life and his calling back into law-based religion and just this is what I do and I don't have to think about it and I don't have to talk to him about it and I just am this and this is what I do and I am it because I do it. Not a relationship, a living relationship where he can stop you and he can say, don't do that today. And you're like, I always do this. And he's like, well, not today. Okay, Lord. How do I focus on his life and his death? How do I dive into it? How do I walk in the Spirit? Um, And how do I live by this grace? Well, you can do a lot of things, but it's not what you do, it's how you do them. So you either, you can read the Bible. That's a great way to dive in. But you can read the Bible with humility and faith, or you can read the Bible with pride and religious faith. What's the difference? Well, humility says, I need you, God, and I trust that this is your word. You can direct me through this word today. Pride says, I'm putting in my time reading the Bible so that you'll be happy with me. Big difference. When you open your word, which one is it? Okay, I need you, God, and I need your guidance in my life, no matter who I am and what I've done. Or... My pastor says I should read the Bible, so here we go. This is so confusing. I don't know what's going on with this. Right? There's the two attitudes right there. So you can read the Bible. That's a good way to dive into the life, but again, it can be pharisaical if you're just doing it out of your own stuff. You can pray. You can serve others. You can fast. You can have solitude with God. You can give. You can worship. You can evangelize. These are all ways that we can dive into the life of Christ, and some call these spiritual disciplines. But it's so important that we realize that they don't make us better, and they don't make God happy with us. It's the gospel that does those things. And the parable today has taught us that if you keep forgetting about the gospel and about the life of Jesus, these things become your life And then you end up the dead religious person that we all hate and call hypocrites. Because they do all the religious stuff and they're jerks. And they're not full of love. And they're not patient with you and they're not kind. And and we all dislike those type of people. But we become that when when we don't have the life of Christ. We're not focused on the life of Christ and abiding in his life. I know we've been long today, so we're going to wrap it up there. Would you guys all stand with me and we're going to worship the Lord? And we have communion. Oh, uh, BK, did you announce surrender service this week? Okay. So yes, this Wednesday night, please come out and we're going to pray. Just spend time giving our, our needs over to the Lord. And I know that you guys have stuff going on in your life. I know that there's husbands that need to come to the Lord and there's wives that need to come to the Lord and we have parents and we have all kinds of needs. And this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, please come out and we're going to get on our knees and we're going to lift those needs up to the Lord.
um, please come out and join us um, seeking the Lord. We have communion. Communion is where we take what we've uh, heard about Jesus. I've heard that he is my life and my light. I've heard that he died on the cross for my sins. I've heard that his life is offered to me. And, and this is where we say, I believe it and we show it. We show it to the world. We show it to the spiritual world. We show it to God himself. I'm going to take this cracker and I'm going to remember your body was broken for me. I'm going to take this cup and realize your life was poured and offered for me, for a new covenant for me to walk in. So that's what we're going to do now. As we sing the song, just come up and uh, take communion if you believe. If you don't, just hang off and uh, you, you got to decide. You got to know for sure. I believe. If you do, you are welcome. And God says you will be um, uh, you will be encouraged as you take this cup and bread. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this parable. I thank you that you are so uh, always um, concerned about us paying attention to the most important thing. And the most important thing is your gospel, that you are the light of the world and that you have offered yourself to us. So God, we, we put, in, uh, put our hope and trust in you alone. Uh, we repent of all the things that we do uh, to try to make you happy, to try to transform our own life or transform our own circumstances. And God, we want to simply put our hope and trust in you alone. Uh, simply learn to sit at your feet and, and, and allow you to be our Savior and our light and our life. I pray that as we take communion right now, you would speak the things that have been in our head and you move them down into our heart. And spiritually, God, you would open us up um, and give us the light that we um, need. If anyone has uh, never officially said that they need you and that they believe in you, I pray that right now in their own heart, they would say a prayer like this, God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are sufficient, that your death is all that God was needing to offer me forgiveness, and I accept it, and I need to be forgiven, so please forgive me. Please come and live inside me. Please control my life, and I want to walk in your light and life every day. I want to surrender my whole life, all my hopes and dreams, all my fears and sorrows, I surrender into your leading and your, your uh, faithful hands. And for all of us who have been walking with the Lord right, for a while, Lord, we pray that you would refresh the gospel in us. That we would not be those people that should be teachers but are, are just bumbling around. God, forgive us for how self focused we are so much of the time and please transform us help us to surrender every part of our lives in new ways to you and therefore discover that you are all that we could ever need